It's just an honor to be nominated. Honor to be nominated. Hi, I'm Chandler. I'm Claudia. And I'm Ezra, and you're listening to Honor to be Nominated, a new podcast coming at you every Friday discussing any and every movie ever nominated for an Academy Award, or as the kids call them, the Oscars. Uh, today, we're kicking off what has to be our most surreal month uh, of the podcast. Uh, we've been, I, I hope the listeners, uh, you know, uh, that we've been trying to do themes more because we feel that helps deepen the conversation. So our theme for April... Uh, is chaos, which is we're doing all four <laughs> versions of A Star is Born in reverse chronological order to chart the history of gay iconography. Uh, and we're beginning with the most recent piece of gay iconography, which is, of course, the 2018 version of A Star is Born, written, directed, and starring Bradley Cooper and, of course, uh, Lady Gaga. And also Dave Chappelle, Andrew Dice Clay, Sam Elliott, Shangela, Willem, and and Anthony Ramos. To name a few. To name just a few. I mean, what's it all about? Uh, So A Star is Born is, um, I want you to imagine a star. I want you to imagine their birth. Hydrogen. Oxygen. It's a science documentary. Now, um, A Star is Born uh, is one of the highest grossing films we've ever covered on the podcast, so I'm sure many people have seen it. Um, it is about um, young... This is no, this is not the highest grossing film we've covered on this podcast. I said it's one it's of. one of. Oh, oh, okay. I thought you said it's the... No. I'm like, that's not... No. Hold on. Like, Lord Wait. of the Rings definitely grows more. Can we, yeah. can we pause just for a moment? Uh, but so for those of you who haven't seen it, A Star is Born 2018 version uh, is about Jackson Maine. He's kind of a country rock musician uh, played by Bradley Cooper. Um, he um, is a huge star. He's also a not super functional alcoholic um, and is also having uh, severe hearing loss. Um, in sort of a night of drunken ecstasy, he ends up in a gay bar. Uh, where he gets to see the sort of headlining performance, Allie, uh, played by Lady Gaga, and immediately becomes smitten with her both romantically and as a performer. Uh, and they kind of go on this kind of magical night together, uh, during which they she kind of improvises what she thinks is just a fun song, and he's like, what if that's a hit song? And then he... <laughs> um, Brings her on stage and maybe the greatest scene ever put on camera. And, Incredible. Uh, then they enter into a relationship, but she also becomes a star. And so this sort of um, game plan, for lack of a better word, of a star is born is there's always one star who is being born as, as another star is dying. And so there's always a young woman who's kind of coming up and is supplanting the older man who's kind of taken her under his wing. Uh, and then things develop. Uh, Bradley Cooper is not doing very well emotionally, physically, and then, spoiler alert, he commits suicide and she sings a tribute song to him after he goes and chills out with Dave Chappelle for a while. And he goes to rehab. And he and he goes to rehab. He tries. He tries to get better. He does. He does his best. He does. Um, yeah, Claudia, what did you think of this film? Yeah, so before we 
started recording today, the three of us were reminiscing on the first time we saw this film and apparently I have the worst memory ever. <laughs> I don't rem- I apparently saw this film with both of my co-hosts for the first time in theaters. I do remember seeing it in theaters, but I thought I was in a completely different state and also <laughs> a completely with completely different people. Well, it's, it's we wish really yeah. <laughs> We should really clarify, Claudia. Ezra was reminiscing, and you and I clearly have have. Well, I was also. I was like, because I remember the first time I saw this this movie, I was with my friend Dan, and Ezra was like, "You, we were together," and I was like, "I thought I saw this with another friend." Regardless, Um, I remember liking this movie the first time I saw it, but not loving it, and like sort of not understanding the hype, I guess, from some of my friends who really really like lady gaga and just you know i think she's fabulous in this movie but when i first saw it i was like yeah it's a fine movie there's nothing particularly wrong with it but it didn't really move me i guess the same way that it moved others that was not the case this time i think this time i really felt it a lot more i think i was able to empathize and sympathize a lot more with the characters um i really really was impressed by bradley cooper's performance this time whereas last time i was like oh he's just a stupid drunk like we've seen this story before but this time i was like oh no this man is like complex um and she is complex and like i think this time i was just able to see more of the layers to the movie and in the screenplay, I guess the screenplay really stood out for me a lot more this time. Yeah. I just, I, I really enjoyed it this time a lot more. What about you Chandler? I, that's funny that you say that as I, I don't want to say I had an opposite experience because I do love this movie a lot, but for some reason, this movie to me is very memorable. Like I just remember mm. most of this movie. Um, and so I kind of was like, rewatching and I was like oh yeah I remember all this mm. and so it, it didn't sort of sit as much as like you know the first time I watched it it was very very impactful because like you know, I don't know what's gonna happen and blah, blah 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 but I don't know what it is about this film but like I was like wow I remember every scene wow. like this it's, it's, and I haven't seen this since we saw it in theaters um I don't think uh but but yeah and I and so like it, it I don't want to say it like lost that luster because I do love this film a lot but it, like I did like rewatching and I was like yeah all right, all right I'm watching this for the podcast like I remember all this <laughs> Um, but that's so crazy that you didn't like Bradley Cooper the first time. I loved him. Yeah. I I was, I think it was just the character. I was like, I just don't need to see another sloppy alcoholic character. And like this time I I was like, oh no, it's, it's not just another sloppy alcoholic character. No. Yeah. He's very, I think he's a very well, well written character, but I also think Bradley Cooper in this movie is my type. He is (laughs) my type. Girl. So I have a little bit of a, a, a bias there because Bradley Cooper in this movie is sexy. Meanwhile, so Anthony Ramos is the gay best friend. Call me. <laughs> I think that's very much like the, the picture there. If you want to know Ezra and you want to know me and the types that we like, I want a Southern man that's masculine and hairy and talks like this and has problems. And, and Ezra just wants the queer best friend. And me, you could just give, those. you could just give me Allie. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I, think I think that goes without saying we would all marry Alex. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if that needed to be said. I think our listeners assumed. Um, but yeah, I, Bradley Cooper in this is something else. Something else. He's something else. Yeah. 
sad to see him die. <laughs> no, I think I think this is a really, really good film. Like, I think the first time I saw it, because Chandler and I saw this opening night because we are New York queers and it is, in fact, the law. <laughs> I remember, Ezra, I do remember, I know now why I thought we saw this in North Carolina, because this came out October 5th 2018 so this is literally we just had moved to the city mm-hmm. so like i just I, yeah. that, that that era is probably still like blurred. a blend of, of locations to me yeah but so now i had gotten i had taught all day and chandler i i assume had been working and so then we met at this at the amc to regal 25 in uh <laughs> times square new york city for the 8 p.m. showing, and it was just us and every other faggot in New York. <laughs> and we had a ball of a fucking time. It was amazing. I think there was like two straight couples, to be fair. <laughs> That's true. Because we waited out like behind two straight couples. So there you go. But we were having our no, best I- duty moment. We were living. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's important because th- this, this, uh, every single one of the iterations of this film, at least I don't know about the first one, has featured a queer icon. Yeah, one hundred percent. Lady Gaga, Barbara Streisand, Judy Garland, like the biggest queer icons of their age. I don't remember who the first Janet lady Gaynor. is, who is also a queer icon. I so don't think so. I I've heard that. I assume she. Yes, is the short answer. <laughs> I don't really know much about her, but in researching for writing our trivia. I discovered a fact that makes her a queer icon that is also the answer to our trivia that week, so I will not share it now. But yes, is an icon. Well, I Stay tuned. Know. Text the group chat real quick. I want to know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like this, 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 this film has a sig- cultural significance in that regard. Well, and it's We're also like, cool is that this like I think there was a lot of concern from a lot of people of. Do we want to see Bradley Cooper, the straightest band in Hollywood, write, direct, and star in A Star Is Born? But credit to him, he does. Credit to him. He's like, yeah, she works at a gay bar, and we're going to have two scenes that have, listen, Willem and Shangela, the the two drag queens in this movie, are amazing drag queens. I love them. I have no idea why those scenes are in the movie. They could 100% be cut, but I'm so glad they didn't. I'm like, no, of course. Well, because, because... Shangela should have won supporting actress. Indeed, one hundred percent. Like I love Shangela in this. Also, one of my favorite drag queens. But like, Let's do the one with the Jackson where's, titties. Where's the Oscar? No, that's Willem. Oh, oh, then the okay, the other one then. Yeah, but I mean both of them. Give it to both. Of them. I love it. Best ensemble. Well, so apparently, there. What they have said is that there kind of wasn't a script, and Bradley Cooper was like, "Yeah, just go." And so that's just <laughs> them, just like going. Listen. Honestly, the the smart way to direct drag queens. I mean, truly. (laughs) They don't need a script. You gotta have that, like, like, that real-time sass, you know? That you don't get otherwise. But I I do think think there are some problems with this movie. Um, Specifically in the way it portrays abusive relationships. Um, But, like, it is, like, really good in that old Hollywood way where you're like, yeah, this is problematic, but I can kind of look past it because the filmmaking is kind of so impeccable. Where, like, this feels like a film. You're like, oh, this is, like, the same way that we rewatch the Barbara Streisand or the Judy Garland or the Janet Gaynor version. People, young queers are going to be rewatching this for the next 50 years, 
right? And there's going to be a million grad school essays all about how it's problematic and they're all going to be right, but we're also going to watch it anyway. Just like the fact that All About Eve is all straight people is a problem. But we still, we're not going to not watch All About Eve. You know what I mean? Unless you're Claudia, in which case you will not watch All About Eve. Um, but, yeah, and I think the real standout here is Gaga, who is so goddamn, she's a fuck, like, hot take, Lady Gaga, star quality. But, like, I have Mind never, <laughs> like, but, like, truly, you're like, she's a fucking star. When you're like, oh, yes, I believe, no matter where I saw this person before, I'd be like, 100%, this person's a star. And so the movie's like, yeah, if you saw Lady Gaga performing at a gay club, you'd do a lot of shit to make sure she got signed to. And it's like, I would. I'm not going to lie to you. I would. Yeah. Yeah. And she's a fantastic actress. In this. Like, she does such a good job. Um, it, in, in almost a way that's like, wow, she's she's keeping up with you, Bradley Cooper, and you're a professionally trained actor. What, what's going on here? She's just so natural. Like, she, you just believe that, she like, is. Like, when she's, like, awestruck, you just believe that, like, she is awestruck. I, it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's just so grounded and so honest. Yeah. And I think what works with this is, like, Lady Gaga is both beautiful and fabulous, but also has a, a sort of real look mm-hmm. to her. Like, where she, you believe that she's, like, you know, some waitress off the street. Um, but it's also, you, you get to see that she becomes, you know, yeah. this beautiful star. I mean, she's and, like, stunning, you but it's, like, things. unconventional. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so you're like, yeah, I get this. I, I buy this. Versus, like, I wonder how the Judy Garland, I have not seen it yet, I wonder how the Judy Garland one will be because Judy Garland's just gorgeous as a person, you know, in general. Yeah. Um, have you? T- or like, I love that that little sort of juxtaposition that Lady Gaga. Have you two seen either of the other three? I have not. No, I haven't either. I have and that's why I'm glad we went reverse chronicle chronological order because we've all seen this one, mm-hmm. and yeah. the whole time, honestly, I was just like, "Wow, I wonder how different the other three are going to be." And I imagine it's quite drastic. I am so ready for the. Not even to watch it, but for our discussion of the Judy Garland version, because it's going to be... Insane. It's going to be Stonewall Part 2. Like, it's gonna, they're going to start another riot. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, Ezra's contractually obligated, obligated to watch that one. Yeah. So that one's absolutely going to be one that Ezra likes. I, so I have heard that's watch. the best one. Really? Which makes sense. <laughs> watch us all hate have it. You, who, who, who told you that? Yourself? No, but it's also directed by uh, George Kukor. Who is like one of the great old Hollywood directors? I don't even know who that is. Ah, uh, yes. What does he do? I mean, like every, like all those like old MGM musicals. Oh sure. And like the Philadelphia Story and shit, I think. Oh wow! Yeah. Um. No, but I think also what makes this movie work is this is one of the. There's been a lot of interesting writing about this. Is that when you make a, a piece of art, be it a, a movie, a play, a TV show, whatever about artists it becomes really difficult because you have to make sure that their art is good enough that it that it justifies how much people give a shit about it and i think what's Mm -hmm. what bradley cooper did that was smart is by having gaga just do all the music you're like oh yeah like shallow is like i mean we'll talk about it when it won the oscar for best original song later but like 
even I remember, I don't know if you guys remember, because you are, I think, especially at the time, in less gay circles than I was. But <laughs> I remember when the trailer dropped. And the trailer, you just heard the first part of Shallow. You heard the bridge of Shallow with her, like, doing the, like, belting. And I remember when it came out, and every queer person I knew was like, so that's, like, the most iconic film of the last ten years, right? Like, no one had seen it, but everyone was like, so this movie has to rule, right? And, like, that scene, like, there are a lot of problems with this movie, but the shallow scene is, like, there are literally no notes. You're like, this is a perfect scene. Like, you cannot really do is. this better. Shallow is as good of a song written for a movie as any song ever. Yeah. I do Absolutely. I do feel the need to shout out Rachel Zegler, who I'm sure we are all familiar with her name if you're listening to this podcast. But if yes, Chandler, are you serious? Which one's she? She's Rachel Maria Zegler is, is yeah. Right, the, the child, one that you love more than anything. The child, the child from my home state and yeah, you're, basically you're my hometown. She did a cover on like her YouTube channel of Shallow and she optioned up higher than gaga and it's the only way i can hear it now Mm. it's it's so good so i just felt the need to shout that out because then i'm always like gaga option up and she does it no i love that i love gaga the way that gaga sings like i love the sort of like you know to it it's it's so good yeah rachel still has that grunt even optioned up really it's insane well never mind i'll have to watch it you you do um so since we're talking about Gaga, I'm currently looking at the Wikipedia page. Can I reduce this movie? They've been trying to remake A Star Is Born for many years before Bradley Cooper ended up doing it. Uh, really? Initially, it was going to be Clint Eastwood directing. No. With Beyonce no. in the Lady Gaga part. Other people who were approached were Christian Bale, Leonardo DiCaprio, no. Jennifer Lopez, Will Smith, and Tom Cruise. Lauren Hill, Mariah Carey, Alicia Keys, Aaliyah, and Paul Wark- Walker of Fast and Furious fame. Now, okay, here's the thing. Beyonce absolutely cannot play the Lady Gaga role. I would no, watch absolutely. the shit out of Beyonce playing the Bradley Cooper role. Are you fucking kidding? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> absolutely. That's what I was going to say. Beyonce, Beyonce is not... That no, but I mean, in 2011, she could have, but even then, she kind of couldn't. No, yeah. No, Beyonce is way too fabulous to play that part. Like, way too yeah. fabulous to play that part. I mean, she's the queen. She's she's Beyonce. Now, hers the, as the Bradley Cooper part. Now, that's interesting. That would be. I mean, I'm sure that's not what Clint Eastwood was planning to do. No, I'm sure not. <laughs> but listen, I would watch a lesbian star is born tomorrow. Give it to me, Hollywood. Who would be? The yeah, who would be who would who would you cast as Allie? Um, she so she does appear. I mean, so probably it would have to be like a Rachel Ziegler type, like an unknown. That's what I was, th- that's what I was thinking. It has but to it be like someone. someone much this is actually the the uh, answer to our trivia this week, but um, but uh, okay, stop now. So much <laughs> Um. No, but um, Halsey, who's one of my favorite current recording artists, this is her only live-action acting credit. I would watch Beyonce and Halsey, and I'm not going to lie to you. Ooh, I would watch no, that. That's fun. <laughs> that's fun. Just like Black Lesbian Star is Born? Yeah. 
Well, actually, well, actually, actually, hold on. No, no, no. You know who? You know who it should be? It should be Zendaya. But can Zendaya sing? Yeah, yeah. she started off as a recording artist. She's a Disney oh. kid. Well, I don't. I, I, I don't know. She work in the industry. No, she's in um, Greatest Showman. Yeah, that is right. Okay, that's true. I remember that. She's all right at it. <laughs> I have never that movie, seen that movie. That movie is all right. <laughs> It's just fine. I think I'm good. But, yeah, like, okay, so hold on. So if Zendaya is our young person, who's the older person? We said Beyonce. Beyonce, Beyonce, but is there a more interesting choice? Gaga? Gaga would be crazy. I don't know. Uh, I feel like I don't know, like, music. I don't know music stats well enough to know like who's like technically yeah I was higher thinking, and like, lower no like i i do think beyonce's a good shout or even like an alicia keys but like another sort of artist in that i just kind of was imagining like what if we bring back what if it's barbara and so now we bring back barbara streisand but she's in the other part that's so much older i know though. That would be weird. Listen, we're going chaos here. I mean, but also they went to Leonardo DiCaprio, who is one of my favorite male actors. I cannot imagine Leonardo DiCaprio when a star is born. He can't sing. Can he? He can't sing, but also he would have, listen, to his credit, he would have made a choice. It probably would have been a bad one, but he would have made a choice. It would have been a weird fucking movie. (laughs) I mean, I would would watch it. (laughs) It wouldn't be good. But there's no way. Like that's just, yeah. That's not really Leo. It's not really Leo's type either. See also Tom Cruise and Christian Bale. See also. Well, Tom Cruise is an insane choice. So is Christian. Christian Bale. Christian Bale I don't, also made a choice. I think Will Smith might be one of the craziest ones on that list too. Which one? Will Smith. Will Smith makes sense though. I mean, you'd have to like reimagine what he is, but if he's like a. Because, like, he, like, is a performer. So I could see, like, it'd be like, oh, he, is. he has a super high energy f- outward facing, but then inward, he's just, like, a sad drug addict. Like, I could see that. Right. And he, did, uh, see, and that's, he did music. That's what I, no, no, it's not the fact that he doesn't do, like, he does do music. But, like, to me, and maybe it's just most of the movies I've seen with him, but he's just always so positive and happy. Yes. I feel like I wouldn't be able to see a darker side of him. The only movie I've seen with him that's like a little bit darker is I am legend. And I was young and terrified of that movie. I literally had to leave the theater because the dogs made me sad. The dogs going crazy made me sad as a child. If that tells you anything about me as an adult, he does a really good, uh, sad, uh, performance in pursuit of happiness. That's true. That's true. My uncle's in that movie. Your what? My uncle's in that movie. He has one line. No, Why do you hate that movie? Because that movie's all about, like, if you're poor and you're homeless and you just work hard enough, you cannot be homeless anymore. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the, the whole point of the movie. Of the movie. <laughs> yeah, the message of the movie is not It's good. also not a very interesting movie. <laughs> no, um, also, I'm, this casting is crazy. So Andrew Dice Clay plays Lady Gaga's father. Apparently the other choices for the role. So Andrew Dice Clay is a famously misogynistic comedian from the 80s. He was cast over John Turturro, who was the racist guy in um, Do the Right Thing, of mm-hmm. like character actor. John Travolta. Oh, yeah. And Robert De Niro. 
Uh, Bradley, what are you doing? What a weird selection of people. You're like, either we want a Andrew Dice Clay type, a Robert De Niro type, John Travolta or John Detour. So they're just old and white. (laughs) All you want is somebody who's over 60 and white. Very quickly, can someone I, explain to me what, in in the movie, like, character-wise, what the fuck is up with the dad and, like, all his friends? He's a bookie, isn't he? A teamster, I thought. A, he's a driver, a driver. Right? He's a dr- yeah. yeah. But, like, why do they all just sit around their house in the suits and watch TV? Why aren't they actually out driving people? I think they're union buddies. I, that's what I thought. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I wanted more of that. I was like, give me, give me more of this backstory. I would say one of the problems with the film is that it's so focused on Allie and Jackson that all the other characters kind of become not fully drawn. So just like yeah. Anthony Ramos, you're like, because the thing is that Anthony Ramos is a little too famous to play that part. And so you're like, why is that Anthony Ramos? And then he goes away and you're like, bring back Anthony Ramos! Honestly. <laughs> You're like, wait, hold on, no, 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 what's going on here? I could have gotten more of, like, the brother and Jackson, like, in, like their story. I mean, we get some, but I feel like we could have gone a little deeper with that. I don't know. That's just... No, I totally thing. agree. I mean, to me, my issues with this film are with the screenplay. Like, I think this has, like, six screenwriters credited, and I think you can tell. I think you can tell that this mm. feels like a screenplay that's four different drafts put together. Yeah. Yeah, how so? In a way that, like, these storylines will start and then kind of not fully finish until the end when it's like, oh yeah, and then this is what happened with the brothers. And you're like, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. yeah, we haven't talked about him for an hour. Yeah. And like, oh, yeah. and that's the thing is that, like, I suspect, like, if there had just been one screenwriter from the beginning who saw it through to the end, then they could have made sure that, like, like the Anthony Ramos character has no arc. Right? The Anthony Ramos character comes in, he's like, Lady Gaga, go get your man! And then, like, disappears until the end when he's like, it's so sad, your man's dead. And it's like, wait, hold on. Like, we need to, like, write an arc for this character. Does that character need an arc? Like, does every character need an arc? I would say that if you're gonna have... I think this is the problem, is that there are no supporting characters in this film, really, except the brother, where even, like, Dave Chappelle has no arc. Where the thing is, is that they, so you have the, the supporting characters also need arc. Yeah. I would say that if you're going to be a supporting character and not a cameo, you need some some form of arc. Yeah, you need to have like some sense of like who you are as a character. But then every supporting character just becomes a cameo where they just come in like to I, like have a couple lines. I truly don't know what Dave Chappelle is doing there. He does a good job, oh, yeah. but it is yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah. It's very because because you've never met that character yes. before, and so you just shot up as Bradley Cooper opens his eyes on Dave Chappelle, and you're like, <laughs> you're like, why is Dave Chappelle on this movie? What? Am I still watching Star Wars? Did it change to a spin-up special? Well, and I think yeah. is this the Chappelle show? And I think that's the and problem. I, sorry, I I was just gonna say because I said earlier that like I feel like the screenplay stood out for me a little bit more, but like. Now that we're talking about it, the parts of the screenplay that stood out for me were the Allie and Jack scenes, which are like, I feel like I was just able to like hear those words and like understand the complexities of the character. But I totally agree with what we're saying now is like, it feels very segmented. Yeah. It does. There's, there are parts of the movie and particular scenes that the screenplay sings. Totally. That are really, really good. And it's like, 
you're like, wow, this writing is beautiful. And, and then there are just parts that are just a little like, okay. Well, and I think that the, the what, what for me is the real red flag about this being clearly several drafts put together is I think the structure where I think like every scene is finally written. It's just the, like the structure is like the structure isn't bad, but it's like, you're like, nobody would sit, nobody would outline it this way. Like nobody would like have the outline be. And then he wakes up and he's in Dave Chappelle's house for 20 minutes. And you're like, <laughs> why wouldn't you foreshadow? Like you would foreshadow that. Like there's no reason why you wouldn't if you were just writing it. And so it feels clearly like, I like this Dave Chappelle scene from, from this draft, but we also like this gay bar scene from this draft. Let's just put them together. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And I think it's what, what like, I don't want to say Sully, but like was not as impactful. My, my rewatch for the podcast was like, because I remembered everything and it was, it was, it, I mean, it is a very memorable yeah, totally. movie, but like, yes, it, it, like it structurally is like paced weird. Yeah. Um, where you're just like, yeah, okay, this scene, all right, we got this scene, I remember this scene, so it kind of feels like a collection of scenes. Yeah. Um, where, like, I, as I was watching, I was like, I don't really remember transitions, because there's not transitions. Yeah. There literally there's aren't transitions. scenes. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I totally agree. I think it, it, it in those scenes, is they're good. Like, Dave Chappelle does a good job, but then there's just, there's just, just a random scene where Dave, where Dave Chappelle, <laughs> you know, talks to Bradley about his addiction for an hour and you're like, okay, sure. <laughs> also, it should be right. Dave Chappelle. He's t- like, it's the same Anthony Ramos problem is that the moment is that like, if you're going to not give the supporting characters any sort of characterization, you can't cast super famous people because then no. we're like, oh, so Dave Chappelle's coming to this movie to like, bring the Save heat. The and you're like, or, yeah. this could have been literally any person. It could have been one of us and like nothing <laughs> would change. Yeah, Bradley Cooper was just like, I want a scene with Dave Chappelle. I want to be able to put this in my reel. Like, if I was like, no, no disrespect. Like, if you can get the best, cast the best. But when it's like Broadway's Anthony Ramos, you're like, did we really just bring him into this film for ten lines? (laughs) Like, he has like ten lines, and you're like, this man was in Hamilton. Like, what are we doing? Anthony Ramos is famous amongst theater people. Is he that famous amongst anyone else? I mean, but I would say he's more up and coming. Famous. He was and the lead of now, a TV show, and he's going to be in in the Heights. That's true. That's true. In the Heights, Can't wait. a better musical than Hamilton. No, that's, I mean. no just objective. I mean, true. it's just objectively true. Um, yeah, it does. It, it it's 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 strange to cast these people. I will say it's just well, because also that like I like the scene, but the Dave Chappelle scene can be cut. Like you. If I'm on the cutting room floor, I'd be like, why Why is this scene in here? Because <laughs> I wanted to have Dave Chappelle. Okay. <laughs> what the story? Okay, and? Well, we get married here. You could get married anywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It just, it feels strange. Well, then especially because, like, then you have, like, unknown actors playing, like, the agents. And I'm like, that feels like where you bring in, like, a Dave Chappelle, right? Is that, like, you bring right. in, like, your heavy hitter to be, like, the shitty British agent who's like, actually, no, go fuck yourself. You're going to ruin her life. You're like, that feels like it should be like Mark Ryland or something. Right. But instead it's like, Ooh. you're like, I have no idea who this is, but then all these minor characters who just come in for one scene are like huge stars. And you're like, wait, wait, what? Mark Ryland. So that's a good casting. Um, Can we talk about that scene where he just tells, it's just tells that that's not okay. If someone is struggling with addiction, that's not an okay thing to say. Just at all. 
just a pro tip. Pro tip. You're just like you're gonna ruin her life. You're a you're an alcoholic. You're a piece of garbage. Get out of her life. Kill yourself. And it's like, wow, dude. Well, way to go. I think like that is. It's. A, I can't say this is a problem. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Give me one second. Uh, I just while I was speaking, uh, my eye caught the Wikipedia page again. Can I read you the women who were considered for this? Please. I thought you already read those. I thought I did too. They read a few. <clears throat> Esperanza Spalding, who is a like who? jazz singer. Uh-huh. Oh. Jennifer Lopez, which I would watch. Yeah. Rihanna. Okay. Shakira. No, this is I'll say the craziest one one for last. Selena Gomez, sure. Okay. Demi Lovato, sure. I was gonna say she's probably next. Kesha, sure. Now here's yes. the one that is the craziest, but I would watch it the fastest. Janelle Monet. <gasps> Ooh. Now, no, Janelle Monet is way too beautiful for this part. No, but think about her in like Moonlight. Yes, she's too beautiful in Moonlight. It it's it's distracting. <laughs> Janelle Monet Moonlight looks like a like like somebody somebody sent down like a goddess from heaven to be the mom of these poor kids in this in this uh area. Dang. Like it's not it doesn't it it's a little she's a little too beautiful to be in this film, I think. Cuz you don't get those bits where like you know, Lady Gaga's like, my nose is too big. What is Janelle Monet gonna say? I'm too perfect? No, but, like, Janelle Monet would be, like... Because, like, then you would, like, reset in, so now she's probably, like, maybe, like... Because it's a Hollywood movie, maybe, like, in an inner-city situation and is trying to, like, sink her way out of it. And, like, her whole... Her thing is more, like, right. economic. Like, oh, I have to support my, my dad. And then you have, sure. like... I don't know. Actually, no. I think Janelle Monet is in our lesbian... It's her. It's, yeah. it's them and Zendaya. It's Janelle Monae and Zendaya, without Absolutely. question. And I would be in that movie every day of the week. Let's book. I it. would also do Janelle Monae and Beyonce. That would be that would be too that powerful. Be we cannot. Bonkers. The universe would implode upon itself. Too much energy. <laughs> uh, uh, capitalism crumbles to the ground. The climate change is fixed. <laughs> Everything is. That's all we need. Just a Janelle Monae and Beyonce. And Beyonce. A star is born and capitalism I, is. I, I, oof, gone. I, I just, imagine, just imagine sitting in the theater as like the credits are playing before the movie starts. And you're like, I'm about to see Beyonce and Janelle Monae. And you'll never get that moment back of the moment before no. you. It's like, I don't know. It's like seeing God. You're like, this is going to be. I won't be able to process this. The cages at the border melt away, and the kids are set free. Like it's, it would, it would change the world. <laughs> Can you yeah. Too power. Too power. <laughs> but before all of that, you were saying Ezra. I don't even remember. Sorry, what you were saying. I have no idea. No, yeah, I think it's like it's hard to say this. It's a criticism of the film because it's what the film is going for. Where the film is a melodrama, like it's adapted from a melodrama. It is very melodramatic in a way that sometimes, like, just as a personal taste thing. I'm a little bit like, no way would an actual manager speak this way. <laughs> like, no, no people actually are like, hey, go kill yourself, you drunk bastard. But like, it's a melodrama, so you kind of can't hold it against it. But also, you're like, I need all these people to chill. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I felt that way about like my second viewing, the scene um, with his brother where he goes to the ranch and like realizes his brother sold the ranch 
And then he's like, goes back to his brother and they're like crying and like fighting each other. It's very melodramatic. Yeah. yeah. Good scene though. It's, it's a great scene. It, but like my second time around, it's just a little, it's a little like melodramatic. My man, Sam, Sam Elliott. Cause it kind of like the rest of the film is kind of placed weirdly. Because there's like this montage of them like being in love, and then there's like let's go to the ranch, and then now I gotta go beat my brother up. So it's like, okay, cool, I'm with it. I think that was, that was something that like I don't know when I first saw it, I was like, I don't understand how she can like love him, like just leave him. It's just like her life will be easier without him. Blah blah blah. Like he's he's sick, he needs help, and he is struggling to get better. And yes, he is sort of ruining your career and embarrassing you like just leave. And this time it was so much more prevalent to me that they were like genuinely in love. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's just like where I'm at in my life, but like, well, no, I think that, I think this job does a reasonably good job at, at at addressing like this man is, has a disease, you know, like he's sick and it's not his fault. Um, He's been doing some shitty stuff, but like she is sticking with him because she understands that, yeah. you know, it's a disease and then she loves him. Totally. Um, and I saw I that a lot more this time. Yeah. I mean, I get the sentiment of like, you know, I think younger people would read what you were reading yeah. onto it before your first time of like, yeah, oh, just leave this guy. Screw him. Like, wow. Right. Well, like, you know, as you get older, you're like, love is a little bit more complicated. Totally. Like people have issues, you know? Totally. So I do think the, ha- the movie handles that really, really well. I do too. I think that there are some aspects of the relationship that aren't as kosher as we would like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think the way that they handle his addiction and being like, it's not your fault. Like, it's okay. You know, we, we can work through this right. is good. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Should we talk about the parts of their relationship that isn't great, Ezra? Yeah, I guess it's like... I don't think the... It's like... I think we talked about this with like the piano. But it's like the beauty and the beast genre, which is a new phrase that I'm coming up with to refer to movies like this, which are like, he's an asshole, but it's not really his fault. And if you just... You can just love him through it. Which like, yeah, like there are some things like you should not expect your partners to come perfect... You should be willing to work on yourself and help your work, partner work on themselves to like come come to a place. That being said, he was a fucking dick to her pretty consistently, and I don't know if the movie realizes how bad their relationship is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the Just point where it's yeah, like, is just... this love or is this codependency? Like, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah, what what 100%. word to use this. No, I think I think you're right, Ezra. I think that there, like, there's some deep codependency there. Well, which like co- codependencies of, often occur in people w- who have uh, addiction. like addictions. Yeah. So, like, alcohol is a codependency addiction, right? Um, and so, if that was addressed better, I think that could have been a really really cool way to talk about like codependency and addiction and like how addiction doesn't even doesn't just stem from like you know his alcoholism. It also affects like his personality okay. and like how he engages in relationships. That's a really cool narrative, but it's not really done that way. And in some ways, I think it kind of celebrates their codependency. One hundred percent. Yeah. I've been talking to my therapist too much about codependency. So no, but Chinlath, I think that's exactly right. Where like they it are is, in yeah. what's clearly a codependent toxic relationship. 
And if the film was like they're in a codependent toxic relationship, but they do still have love for each other, that could be interesting. But it kind of feels like the film is like they have an amazing relationship. The alcoholism is just screwing it up. You're like, even if he was sober, there would still be some pretty important problems here. Yeah, I think I think I think deeply that there's like some because it, it it is weird because it is it is like very much like oh yes this man is codependent on alcohol and very clearly codependent on his relationship but we're not going to talk about the relationship part yeah um, so it does feel like a, a a very much missed opportunity in that regard because I do think the way that they make each other their entire lives is super not totally. good super and it's kind of celebrated in the movie. I think so. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like, isn't this romantic? This is good. Yeah. Isn't this romantic? Which I, is obviously a deeper issue. I am now, you know, realizing as I deal with my codependency, that is a real issue with all like uh, romantic comedies and like how we portray romance 100%. movies. Not healthy. <laughs> but like, I, you know, it is certainly prevalent in this movie where we're talking about like addiction and toxic relationships. Well, and I think off that, it like, Totally. But it's like a lot of things we look back on, like the early rom coms of like the 90s and the 2000s, like, ah. Eh. And like, I feel like movies now, even though they're not like fully better, or at least trying to be a little bit better about portraying toxic relationships positively, this feels like a throwback, not just in terms of style and genre, but in terms of like sexual politics in a way it's kind of not great, where it's like, oh, this is the sort, this is the way they would portray this relationship in the 70s in a way that I'm like, I don't know if that's what we needed to throw back to, Bradley. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, yeah, it's very like the notebook where like I'll, I I wrote you every day for a year. Like, yeah, you're my world. I bought this house and changed everything just for you. It's like that's not good, buddy. That's not okay. Move on. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, though I do love the notebook, but it's deeply, deeply problematic. I hate that movie. I have never seen. It. Um, you won't like. It. It's deeply problematic. Yeah, you would as hate. Far as I think you would co- hate it. Well. Goes. I do not enjoy Ryan Gosling as a performer, so I cannot imagine if I do not enjoy him as a performer and I do not find him either attractive or charming that I would Agreed. enjoy That's his right. Notebook. Yeah, you won't like it. It's got that it's, it's it's very much like the um, Snape's always thing yeah. that everybody thinks is so. Cute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. It's very it's very that. Well, it's like I always love you. It's like well, and also I, I will speak. Vaguely, so Claudia doesn't have to cut this out. The original author of that book, um, that the notebook is based upon, lived in a town that I also lived in. Uh, And so I know some things about him and his politics. He is piping hot. Blatant, unrepentant homophobia uh, that I doesn't make me particularly want to engage with his artistic work. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely fair. Yikes. Uh, yeah. Star is born. Anyway. I think we do have to answer one question before we move on, which is how okay. you come around here with an ass like that. How are you? How is that happening? What is that from? It's from the song. It's from her song that she's this performing movie. in SNL. Yes, yes, yes. And he makes fun yes. of her. The one that he it. says is just pop garbage. Which is I will say a this great movie, song. It is. I will say this movie, like, I get the take, but I don't, it's a little too hard from pop music. Like, if you like pop music, that's great. There's nothing pop, wrong with pop artist, music. We need pop music. There's nothing music. wrong with that. I would, it is not a 
form of art. I would argue, actually, because this was a huge discussion when the movie came out, I would argue that I think Bradley Cooper's character hates pop music. I don't know that the film hates pop music. Yeah, I don't think the film hates it. Especially because they did an interview with Diane Warren, who wrote the How You Come Around Here With An Ass Like That, and they were like, did you write the song intentionally to be bad? And she was like, no, we wrote it to be a fucking banger. Yeah. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just reading something onto it. Um, and I think pop music can be art. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I think you I said love- pop music isn't art, Chandler. No, is. Oh, okay, I'm great, sorry. great, great, great. I was like, we need to have this conversation. Fully valid form of art. It, great. Like, you know, I, I think, the, but, but like, it has that sort of tendency of people are like, mm, anything that's popular and, totally. and easy is not, art. Yeah. you know what I mean? Which is kind of what Bradley Cooper's character, at least, is, I think yeah. kind of the movie does. At least Bradley Cooper's character definitely like thinks that, which is, I think, stupid. You know, Lady Gaga is a pop artist and she's one of our most valuable people in the world. Truly. A gem. Beyonce's queen. She sings pop. Um, do we want to move on to Should It Have One? Yes. And the Oscar goes to... All right, take it away, Ezra. So, is that Will Smith? It is Will Smith. So this was nominated for eight Academy Awards. Woo! Um... To run through it's them. also this... the same year as oh, Bohemian Rhapsody, oh, right? So we're gonna we'll get mad. Fucking oh, talk about it. We ah. Oh, we will get we into it. It won Bohemian Rap. Are you? What? What? This year, Bohemian Rhapsody was the highest awarded film. Bohemian Rhapsody won more Oscars than any other film at the Oscars this year. I feel like we established that when we did Bohemian Rhapsody. I must have blocked it out. Dead. I want nothing more than violence. Uh, The (laughs) nominees for Best Cinematography are um, Matthew Labatique for A Star Is Born, Caleb Deschanel for Never Look Away, Robbie Ryan for The Favorite, Lucas Zal for Cold War and Alfonso Coran for Roma, who won. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not mad at Roma for winning this. I, I think I have not seen Never Look Away um, or Cold War, but both of those movies are supposed to be really beautifully shot, so I'm not mad about it. No, I'm not mad about it. I haven't seen it, but I imagine it's beautiful. Yeah, I, I I find Roma a little dull. Like, I respect Roma more than I like it, but it does look objectively beautiful. Uh, okay. I'm hardcore frozen for about five minutes, so I didn't hear anything. Yeah, you did, but I think we're all, I think we're good. We just established that Roma won for best cinematography. And like, fair, fair enough. Uh, the nominees for Best Sound Mixing are A Star is Born, Roma, First Man, Black Panther, and Bohemian Rhapsody, which wins. Star is Born was robbed at gunpoint. Gunpoint. At absolute gunpoint. Because Bohemian Rhapsody didn't do live Sound mixing! Every song in this movie was recorded live. They recorded Shallow in front of a live audience. 
They just jumped yeah. on stage at a music. Like I think it was like South by or Bonnaroo before somebody else did, and they just got up there and they just shot it. Did they really? Yes. That's incredible. Why did this not win? Um, I, because because uh, Rami Malik is such a good uh, Freddie. Oh, Mercury. we're getting into Rami yeah. fucking Malik. Um, the nominees for best original the nominees for best original songs are "When a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for Wings" from the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, music and lyrics by David Rawlings and Gillian Welch. Oh, the place song. where lost things go from Mary Poppins Returns by Mark Shaman and uh, Scott Whitman. Everyone's favorite bad movie song. that definitely exists. Bad Mary, song, Real Mary bad Poppins. Song. It's the worst song in that movie. You should have nominated the, the weird little Miranda song. Um, yeah, the little like fantastic. It's that movie sucks. Like <laughs> uh, <laughs> it shouldn't suck. You're like, oh, it's the guy who did Chicago, Emily Blunt doing Mary Poppins Part Two. You're like, yeah, this is gonna be fun. And instead, it's just like a war crime. You're like, who did this? <laughs> Um, All Fight from RBG, music and lyrics by Diane Warren. All the Stars from Black Panther, music by Mark Soundwave Spears, Kendrick Lamar's, Anthony Topdog Tillith, uh, and SZA. Good song. And then the winner, Shallow, from A Star Is Born, music and lyrics by Lady Gaga, Mark Ronson, Anthony Rosmondo, and and Andrew Wyatt. You cannot deny Shallow. Like, we talked about this on our Black Panther episode, where if I'm throwing on a song, it may be All the Stars, but in terms of Best original song for a film, it does not get better than Shallow. Truly. I agree. Now, I also wouldn't have even... I I think All, All the Stars is a great song. I wouldn't have even put picked that from the no. uh, album, though. Well, I would have picked It's King the credit Dead. song, so... King is Dead is better, yes. <laughs> King is Dead. Yeah. Is, King is Dead gives Shallow a run for its money. Yes, but it's not used in the film, I think, as well. No, well, no. I mean, Shallow makes this movie. Yeah. Like, I mean... I'll, I'll, Entirely, and also Shallow has now like Shallow became like the uh, the new drag queen song. Like you do it at the gay bar now, yeah. like it's huge. I mean, Shallow it's an icon. was much I mean, culturally impactful. I would even argue that they didn't nominate enough original songs from this movie. I would agree. I would say nominate that last song too. Yeah, totally. The last it's, song's good. That last I, song, like that, I love that last scene, and then that jump cut to like when they're writing it together. Ugh. Beautiful. I mean, even even his, uh, his even some of his ja- Jackson's yeah his songs country songs yeah yeah they're really good. I think the score of this movie is incredible. Weirdly not yeah. nominated. Um, weird. Best adapted screenplay. The nominees are A Star Is Born by Eric Roth, Bradley Cooper, and Will Fetters. If Beale Street Could Talk by Bradley by Barry Jenkins. Can You Ever Forgive Me by Nicole Holof Center and Jeff Whitty. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs by Joel and Ethan Cohen, and The Black Klansman by Charlie Wachtel, David Rabinowitz, Kevin Wilmot, and Spike Lee. Okay. I do not like the screenplay for Black Klansman. This is Spike Lee's only competitive Oscar. So, so I don't... I would sure, have, but we gotta give... What did you say, Shannon? They still haven't given Spike Lee an Oscar yet, so like, yeah. I mean... yeah. At least they're giving him something. Yes, so I wouldn't have voted you know for I mean? Black Klansman. The shallows. Yeah, but I can't take it away. Right. Agreed. No. And the shallow, I wouldn't give it to shallow or the shallow. The Star is Born no. script here because the Star is Born script's not. No. It's not we like just, that. We just said it's, it's a little too. I would too say segmented. if Beale Street could talk, or yeah. can you ever forgive me? Might be my vote. Sure. Uh, the nominees for because like what makes 
I was just gonna say what makes this movie is is Bradley, Gaga, and Shallow. Like that's what you know. Um, Get into it. The nominees for Best Supporting Actor are Sam Rockwell for Vice, Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me, Sam Elliott for A Star Is Born, Adam Driver for Black Klansman, and Mahershala Ali for Green Book. Who wins? I would have voted for Richard E. Grant. Four. Uh, can you ever forgive me? Hmm. I don't think I ever saw that one. It's a good one. Or or Adam Driver and Black Klansman. I'm not mad that Mahershala has two. I think he is good in that movie. I just don't want Green Book to win <laughs> three Oscars. Anything. Anything. Wow, this is the year of Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody, two of Ezra's least favorite Indeed. movies. I still haven't seen Green Book. I haven't either. <sighs> I don't think I ever will. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad Sam Elliott got the nomination. I don't think this necessarily needs an Oscar. No. no. Like, I think it's a good performance, but I'm not like, this man wow. must win an Oscar. <laughs> Uh, the nominees for Best Actress are Melissa McCarthy, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Lady Gaga, A Star is Born, Glenn Close, The Wife, Yalitza Aparicio for Roma, and Olivia Colman, who wins for The Favorite. Okay. This one's tough. This one's tough for a couple of reasons. Number one, Olivia Colman. It is the category placement of these of the women in the favorite is psychotic. It does not make any goddamn fucking sense. <laughs> there are three no. leads of that because movie. Been either. Two main leads and one, like, co-lead. They put the co-lead in lead and the two protagonists in supporting. Yeah. Yes, this should have been Emma Stone and What's-Her-Face. And Rachel Weiss. Now, if it was Emma Stone and Rachel Weiss, I would vote for them over Gaga. I vote for Gaga over Coleman. Agreed. Uh, yes, correct. I think Olivia like, Coleman's if you're awesome Coleman in that movie. Or... I think Gaga's a little bit better. Yes. Yeah. But also, Coleman is the supporting character of that. It's crazy. Movie. Just objectively, like in every way, shape, or form, every metric of of supporting actress, she is the supporting actress of that movie. She does a fantastic job and should have won best supporting. But uh, either Emma Stone or Rachel White should have won best act best actress for. The favorite. And also, though, if, in, in I would have given it to Gaga here. light of, you know, spreading the wealth, Gaga did get her Oscar for Shadow. So, so, you know, I'm not mad because she did, you know, get to go up on stage, hold the hold the trophy and give her speech. And she was recognized. But I do think she I mean, I haven't seen the favorite. So you'll love it. I, I know I have to see it. I'm too busy watching 2020 movies now. Um, yeah. But I mean, I, I love her performance in this, so I like I wouldn't have been mad if she won for Shallow and for Best Actress, but I'm glad that they spread the wealth a little bit. Yeah, when it looked, this was the year that everyone thought Glenn Close was going to get hers for The Wife, which is apparently a terrible movie. If she had won, I would have been like, Gaga was robbed. Yeah. I don't want to take it away from Olivia Coleman. Like, I'm glad Olivia Coleman has an Oscar. In this particular one, I would have voted for Gaga, but like, I think the world's yeah. a better place because Olivia Coleman was able to give also, that speech was incredible because she got up there and she's like, oh, so this is never happening again. Oh, <laughs> And she now says she's too drunk to remember her speech. Yikes. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, At least she didn't pee on stage. Okay. I'm about to get real hot Bad. on the mic. 
Um, yeah. I know. The nominees for Best Actors are Viga Mortensen for Green Book, an objectively terrible performance. <laughs> Willem Dafoe for At Eternity's Gate. Bradley Cooper for A Star Is Born. Christian Bale for Vice. Oh, look, Christian Bale did get a, a, a job that year. And Rami Malek, who wins for Bohemian Rhapsody. I have never seen a... A worse category. Like, this is a robbery. Like, we need to press chart. Bradley Cooper needs to file a suit. <laughs> yes, I think... I If anyone's listening to this podcast and you liked Rami Malek's performance in Bohemian Rhapsody, stop listening to this podcast <laughs> because this isn't for you. I, I, he gives one of the worst screen performances I have ever seen in that movie, and that's not an exaggeration. I think his performance it's is terrible. genuinely mocking Freddie Mercury. It is. It's like it, borderline disrespectful. It, it, truly. It, it feels like he is an SNL sketch mocking Freddie Mercury for being a, a queer. Like it feels so incredibly rude. Like as if Freddie Mercury wasn't one of the greatest singers of all time. It's just it's disgusting and then and the fact that he won an oscar for it is criminal and then it's bradley like, cooper like plays a completely different person on screen and is completely believable well, and sings and, uh, what and is, is robbed what is crazy is like i don't I, I would need to look back in my in my own personal list of that year but i don't believe i gave bradley even a nomination but in this category of these five gentlemen, it's gotta be Bradley Cooper by default. Please. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> Does he have an Oscar? No hesitation. Yeah, he should have an Oscar for this. Yes, his performance in this is fantastic. Yeah. He also wrote and directed this movie. He did a lot and produced. Poor his and heart he looks and really soul. hot. He looks really hot, and he wears a cute cowboy hat. Rami Malek just but, put in. Uh, Rami, I mean, Rami Malek's performance is just rude like as a fan of queen and rock music it's rude you put in fake like, teeth I, and lip synced and it's like an snl performance i've seen better snl performances than this freaking cecily strong does a does a better impersonation every other day like i it's so bad it's really I, terrible it's bad it's re- like i feel almost as bad about rami malek's performance as i feel as about every jared leto performance I, and if you're listening no i hate jared leto that's why just as a quick side note I remember trying to watch that movie, uh, The Little Things, that came out, and I could not, and I was like, it was a real endurance test of who do you hate more, Rami Malek or Jared Leto? And I was, and I discovered for myself the answer is Rami Malek, because I turned it off before I got to Jared Leto, because Rami Malek was pissing me off so much. I was like, I cannot watch this man on screen. I've liked him in one thing, and that was iRobot. I have liked Jared Leto in zero things because he is an actively bad. He's okay actor. in Panic Room. No, get out, get out. The man. It's like it's like Jared Leto looks like a like a like a like a middle schooler that is that is acting in emotion, right? Instead of an action. I would say that so Panic play, Panic Room is, is at the beginning of Leto's career, so it's before he got into all of his bullshit. And it's a David Fincher movie, so David Fincher clearly just what didn't put up with any of it. So you're like, oh, Jared Leto's giving an actual performance now. That's nice. Maybe. I mean, I'll have to see it. But like now, I just feels like Jared Leto is playing creepy. No, it's- like that's it. That's it. I'm the Joker. I'm playing creepy. It's like his Joker I is like it. one of the worst big budget performances of the last twenty years. It's really bad. You people, you people that love that scene in the Snyder cut. With him and Batman, are, are you're wrong. It's I hate Jared Leto so much. It pains me. 
It pains me. I also hate Rami Malek's performance in this, but, you know, back to Star is Born. Um, the nominees anyway. for Best Picture were Vice, A Star is Born, Roma, The Favorite, Bohemian Rhapsody, Black Klansman, Black Panther, and Green Book, which wins. <laughs> what a... What a year. <laughs> Not year. only are we giving the Oscar to Rami Malek when Bradley Cooper comes out with a rock-hard performance, we're also going to give the best picture to Green Book. I mean, the worst is, if, if we can just backtrack for a second, I just want to look at best original screenplay, where the nominees are Vice by Adam McKay. Not a movie I like, objectively a kind of interesting, ambitious screenplay. Roma by Afonso Caron, one of the great filmmakers. First performed by Paul Schrader, the guy who wrote Taxi Driver, doesn't have an Oscar. The favorite. Wow. Great. And then Green Book, which wins. There's no way. That is, I think, the the worst Oscar win of my lifetime. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a worse Oscar win than Green Book winning Best Screenplay. Ezra, what's the what's the line about really over Rami Malek? I would say the the Green Book screenplay is worse than Rami Malek. It's like legit. Is it, I, I haven't seen it again. I haven't seen Green time. Book, but it's it's like legit offensive and racist. Oh, right? it's like super racist. Yeah, yeah. How What's did the fried chicken line that you always talk about? Oh no, from the screen. There's play? a moment in it where Viggo Mortensen, playing a racist man from the Bronx, says to Mahersha Ali, "What do you mean you've never had fried chicken? Use people love the fried chicken." And that oh no, best original screenplay. Oh no, over the favorite. I, I, it's so bad. I feel like we yeah. do this every time we do a 2018 movie, but who would you actually give it to? The favorite, without question. The favorite. The favorite? Okay. But also, like, if a Star is Born won, I wouldn't be mad. I would if, give it to a Star is Born. If, I mean, like, if Black, like, if Black Panther won, I would be, like, weird, but I wouldn't be mad. But sure. If Black Klansman won, I'd be like, eh, there are some problems with that movie, but I wouldn't be mad. If The Favorite won, I would be thrilled. If Roma won, <laughs> I wouldn't be mad. If A Star Is Born won, I wouldn't be mad. Even if Vice won, I'd be like, that's real fucking weird. But, like, you just throw in Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody as these, like, ticking time bombs, where it's like, what if we took a really good year for movies and just broke it? <laughs> it's like, what if we don't? <laughs> what if we don't? <laughs> Do. Did you watch the same Bohemian Rhapsody that I watched? Because and they're like, no, no, but he I had think... to act. He had to act while being directed by a pedophile, and he had to save the movie. I'm like, is that what the movie was like? Saved? <laughs> That's what I was like. It's like oh, Rami Malek saved that movie, and I was like, I don't think that... he saved it, my friend. That was I don't saved. Think... I think he threw the life preserver and then shot it. Like I don't think that movie <laughs> got saved. <laughs> yes. It... Mission of saved is is people bought tickets to see it. Sure, sure. <laughs> there was a movie I guess in the most technical sense. People bought tickets to see that movie, so I guess it in some way was saved. <sighs> Who the fuck knows? But yeah, the favorite should have won Best Picture this without year. question. Without, question. I mean, like absolutely. This was the same That's, year as Vox Lux. <gasps> well, Vox Lux should have won Best Picture, but it wasn't even nominated for anything. Claudia, you also need to watch Fox Lux. Will you like it? Who's to say? Uh, Who's to say? You you like Seven Beauties, so like, I don't know. What I is mean, my like, type in movies. All bets I don't even know. I truly uh, don't uh, even know. Speaking of movies, should we move on to what we've been watching? Yes. Uh, yeah. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. 
Boy, what a great show. Chandler, what have you been watching? What have I been watching? Oh, can we talk about... <clears throat> Let me talk about something real quick. Let me get on a soapbox here. I gotta, gotta pull it out. Conk, 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 conk. All right, <laughs> let's talk about something. So, you know, I was home alone with my roommate, Cameron. Shout out to Cameron. He was so watching. Sure. Sure. So, so, therefore, by proxy, I was watching Zack Snyder's Justice League. Of course. Let's talk about it. What a film. Um, I, I, and, and now since, since that movie has come out, the internet has exploded saying that it's the best superhero movie of all time. They want the Snyderverse. I am so confused because I don't know what movie they watched, but I watched just a four hour version of the same movie. There were some costume changes. Oh, Superman's got a black suit now. <laughs> it's comic book original. Um, Dead. Just. And there's more scenes of Gal Gadot being the worst actor. That, that woman is gorgeous, but my, my God, she cannot act. I mean, she clearly may be one of the prettiest women alive, but Who is Lord she? help my, like, she cannot act to save her life. Who is it? I have seen better acting from a dog. Like, she is terrible. Who is it? And Who is Wonder it? Wonder Woman. It was Wonder Woman. Oh, okay. She is such a terrible actress, and they added more scenes with her in it. And why would you do that? Well, also, like, so, just just to piggyback off this, Olivia and I also tried to watch the Snyder cut. And, like... The- Did you get to the end? No. <laughs> There's, like... What about You want to talk about people People talking about, like, oh, Lord of the Rings has nine endings. This movie has eleven! This movie has so many endings, and it doesn't stop! And there's, like, a dream sequence, oh, and the Joker's there, and I just, like, I just don't, I just don't well, care. Like, the, I just... It is, care. I think, better than the original, insofar as it is coherent. But, like, the issue is the script is still terrible. And so you do still see... And also, the script is still bad, and they still cast... It's about 50-50, can the actors act or can they not? It's real 50-50. It's hit or miss. And it's like, I don't know if the solution to this movie was giving it four hours and giving Zack Snyder a right-wing, relatively untalented filmmaker whose next film is an Ayn Rand adaptation. I don't know if we... No, wait, 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 uh-huh. what? No, it's not. They're not going to let that happen. Who greenlit that? You're kidding. He's been developing that for the past several years. An Ayn Rand movie? What is that? So Ayn Rand is a fascist, evil, She's not a demented... Fascist. She so Ayn Rand wrote a bunch of books. She is an author of a bunch of books. They are that technically are the books, most... yes. <laughs> They're the most capitalist propaganda dog crap ever made. Yikes. It's 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 essentially just being like, uh, you know, white men deserve the world, and these poor white men are suffering because because they're not getting enough money, and we really should just give all the money to the white. To man. be more, it's truly- to be more exact, Ayn Rand is a author and a philosopher who promoted a a version uh, a school of philosophy called egoism which argues okay. that the that you only have a responsibility to look out for yourself, for yourself. yeah uh, and so she sense. writes all these books it about how sense. yeah and so then she she's become like she's like Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan and Marco Rubio and Mitch McConnell's favorite author and so oh, like no. the, the sort of right wing of the Republican Party is always quoting her as like an example of how we have too much regulation and all we need to do is look up after ourselves Fuck and her. so they're making a movie based on these books? They've made a couple of movies based on those books. Have oh, they? So this is actually so shout out to Drew Norris, who definitely isn't 
listening. But uh, <laughs> one of Drew and I's favorite media properties is so her big book is called Atlas Shrugged. And it's like a 1200 page novel about how the white man's being kept down. Um, but what's, and so they made these right wing people made um, Atlas Shrugged part one. And they were like, it's going to be a three part series. And it like had like, you know, some like mid-level stars in it bombed at the box office. And so then then part two and part three are are each made for increasingly less money. And every single version has a completely different cast. There is no overlap in the cast of part two with part one or part three with part two or part one. It is the funniest thing. It's our favorite media opera. Neither of us have ever watched them. But it's a movie that about how great the free market is that the free market so thoroughly rejected (laughs) that it like... Bankrupted a studio. <laughs> Claudia. I can't believe he's making a movie. Wow. What have you been watching? Claudia, what have you been what watching? Have I been watching? So in preparation for my least anticipated episode that we'll do our Oscars, which is coming at the end of this month, um, where we will talk about our personal nominations, not predictions, but just things that we would like to award from this year. So I've been watching some more 2020 nominations and just 2020 movies. Um, and I watched over the weekend, promising young woman, as well as Nomadland. Um, Ooh. Yeah. Both. How'd you like Nomadland? Nomadland. I liked, I don't think I'll ever turn it on again. Um, yeah. Chandler, I am just very interested that, you find you you yep. <laughs> you said that Hurt Locker has no plot when No Man Land objectively has no plot. Yes, but at least but but No Man Land No Man Land at least knows that. Like I don't I don't sure. care if a movie doesn't have plot. I I just care if the movie is not good without a plot. Sure. No Man Land is really good without a plot. Like it's a because it's a you know it's just this sort of yeah. beautiful. Uh, you know, character glimpse into this woman's life yeah. and traveling around the world and, and, and viewing America in a different lens yeah. where I don't think that Hurt Locker stands up in the same way. Sure. And so I want Hurt Locker to have a plot because I don't think, I don't find it that interesting without it. Yes. I just disagree in the sense that you say Hurt Locker doesn't have a plot because it does anyway. Um, but yeah, like I liked Nomadland. It's, it's beautiful. I think Francis, Francis McDormand does a great job um it's just like not my style i was like okay nothing's happening can we please wrap this up and then promising young woman i liked a lot i think there are definitely some some notes some notes but it's very fun is not the right word but it's 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 my like vibe of a movie i love the colors i love the costume design um i think she did a great job and i you know i think it's the it's the type of movie where it's like, I don't want to see that in real life, but like, it's interesting to see that version of reality. If that makes sense. Like, I don't think that's the solution to solving rape culture. I I don't, but if that reality existed somewhere and like, you know, the movie showed that, I think that's, you know, interesting. So I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. As, it's a really well-made movie. It is, yeah. It's, yeah, it's totally. a really well-made movie. It's very fun. Yeah. Um, I just, I think, yeah, I just think some of the ways it handles its its themes Absolutely. is not. Totally. Absolutely. Culture. <laughs> but. Yes. Ezra, what have you been watching? Uh, I've been watching, you know, a little bit. 
Um, I uh, watched last week following actually the same day as we record our Seven Beauties episode. I watched another Vert Mueller movie. I watched Love and Anarchy. Uh, that oh, yeah? stars uh, our man from the Seven Beauties, who apparently is in all of her films. Nice. Oh, I mean, I would too. Um, as a <laughs> young, uh, he is a farm boy in fascist Italy who is recruited by an anarchist collective to assassinate Mussolini. Uh, but then that plan might be uh, derailed after he falls in love with a prostitute. Um, not as good as Seven Beauties, but still, you know. I'm glad I watched it. Uh, good job. Um, I also watched, uh, Olivia and I watched The Nanny Diaries, um, which is a Scarlett Johansson joint, um, where it is about a young woman who takes a job as a nanny for Upper West Side uh, stay-at-home moms and does an ethnographic study of how shitty Upper West Side moms are. Uh, the premise okay. is more interesting than the execution. Okay. Um, we watched Adventureland, which is a crime against all of us who love Kristen Stewart. Uh, and then the real movie, the real two movies I want to talk about are, uh, we were trying to find something to watch that would, like, be engaging when we wouldn't have to think about. So we tossed on a movie called Killer Joe. Um, have you guys ever heard of Killer Joe? Yes. Yeah, it sounds vaguely familiar. So you may have heard of Killer Joe because Killer Joe is a play by Tracy Letts that everybody yes. did in acting class. It's yes, like one of the yes, plays yes, that we yes. saw a million scenes from an acting class, directing class, workshop, what have you. Workshop, yeah. Um, and so, and I was like, oh yeah, I, I know I, I know the premise. It's about like a hit, man. It's like a thriller. And I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, so let me tell you what the actual premise of this film is. Um, so it's directed by William Friedkin, who directed The Exorcist. Um, it's his, I believe, final film. Uh, and he and Zach, and he and Tracy Letts adapted it together. Uh, and it's kind of the one of the movies that brought Matthew McConaughey back in the McConaissance. Uh, okay. And so it is, a, it is about this uh, kind of very, very rural, white, poor family in Texas who live in a trailer park and need, in order to get their mother's $50,000 life insurance policy, they hire a hitman to kill her. Uh, the hitman asks for $25,000 up front they don't have that, and so then he agrees to take a retainer, which is their virgin sister, who is either 13 or 20, and it's really unclear where in that age range it is. Uh, and then they fuck up, and they can't get the money, and so then he's like, I'm taking my collateral with me. Uh, and then he does the most disturbing scene I've ever seen on film, uh, where he forcibly forces a woman to perform perform oral sex on a fried chicken leg. Um, oh my! God. It's quite a good film. It's a film I will absolutely never watch again, uh, and that I can't, in good conscience, recommend to anybody. But it is like objectively a good film that is. That Matthew McConaughey is very good in, that really shows that Tracy Letts is one of the great American dramatists. And then I followed it up, uh, and I was like, "Oh, I should watch all William Friedkin films because I love The Exorcist so much." And so I watched his Cruising, which is now oh, bear with me here. Uh, Al Pacino. It is from the director of The Exorcist. It is about um, a 
police detective and this and an NYPD detective in the 1970s, played by Al Pacino, um, who was asked to go undercover to investigate a string of murders in the gay BDSM sex community. Uh, sure, as you and do. it is. As you do. I'll say that it's wild. And so, it, how many movies? I don't know, like ten. Ten? Something like that. I don't know. Um, but um, this movie was really co- uh, controversial at the time because they felt it was portraying gay people negatively. Watching it now, I think it's actually a, a very, especially given that it was made in the seventies, a very pro queer film, and that it, the entire point, like. The movie is nominally about a gay serial killer killing gay men, but is actually about how the NYPD is super homophobic and just likes to sexually assault and beat up queer people, which is wild to see in a movie from like 1972. And you're like, and like Al, there's a scene where like they like Al Pacino's like, yeah, I think this guy might be the killer, so they just like torture him and like sexually degrade him. And then Al Pacino's like, I didn't take this job just so I can finger somebody because he's a fag. And they're Mm. like cool, we don't give a fuck, go find somebody else. And then they go and, like, rape two trans women. It's crazy. It's a crazy movie. Uh, again, I don't know if I can fully recommend it. I'm glad I watched it. William Friedkin is one of the great American film directors. Uh, I want to share one quick story about Billy Friedkin, as I discovered he was known. Because uh, <laughs> I spent a lot of time reading interviews about Killer Joe to find out why this movie was ever made. Uh, and apparently, uh, Caleb Deschanel... Zoe Deschanel's father and one of the great living uh, cinematographers uh, was shooting Killer Joe and William Friedkin only ever has two takes. He never does more than two takes. Uh, and there's a scene where like a truck pulls up and, and Friedkin's like, cut, we got it. And Caleb Deschanel's like, oh, actually, Billy, I'm so sorry. Actually, the reflection of the cameras were in the, were in the truck, so can we shoot again? We just got to, got to reposition. And apparently Academy Award winning director William Friedkin, director of The French Connection, The Exorcist, one of the great American film directors said, do you really think our audience isn't smart enough to realize they make films with cameras and made them keep the shot? Which is the crazy. I mean, I think that's a reasonable thing to add. It's in the shot. It's going to cut people out of the reality. Can we just reshoot it one time? So it's... it's Film? Yes. So you can see the cameras Apparently. in the film. That's amazing. That's I hope I hope is I hope this the camera guy's doofy face is just like in the now shot. Imagine if you're like the camera guy and he's William Friedkin. He's in his seventies. He made The Exorcist. He made The French Connection. He's like one of the great American film directors. And you're like, oh my god, I'm so glad. And he's like, I only do two takes. And you're like, weird, but I guess it's his process. And you're like, actually, I'm sorry, we fucked up the second take. Can we go again? He's like. What the audience knows they they use cameras to make movies, and you're like, wait, hold on, I mean, yeah, it's like the craziest thing that, like, if like, oh, if like Zack Snyder said that to you, you're like, oh, so this guy's a fucking idiot. But he's like, this man was like, William Friedkin. <laughs> I, yeah, it's uh, that would be weird because you would think that he would, you know, care. <laughs> That's so funny. Apparently Michael Shannon, when he made Bug with Friedkin, was like, hey, can I get more than two takes? And Friedkin was like, if you can't get it in two, you're never going to get it. Bold. Which is crazy. Jeez. Bold. That's intense. It's, it's intense. crazy. The Exorcist was filmed. What? 
The Exorcist film. Is I would assume that this has to have been something that he came up with later in his career. There's no way that he could have made The Exorcist with just two takes per thing. There's no way. Absolutely not. Something to research. Uh, and then All to right. finish it up, I lend uh, Claudia's partner and I watched Election last night, which is a sexist piece of shit. Anyway. Sure. Ah, I asked what you watched last night, and they couldn't even remember. So, <laughs> Typical. Typical. All right. Well, that is all we have for you today. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Give us a rating and review and follow us on Instagram at htbn.podcast for Trivia Tuesday, our weekly posts and other fun content for you. Next week, we are covering the, I guess, third most recent A Star is Born from the 70s, right? Or the 80s? Chris Gustafsson, Barbara Streisand. 70s. Yeah, great. Looking forward to that. So we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.